Thank you. If you have your Bible, we're in the book of Mark. We're starting a new series. Brother Steve and I, as we've done the last three summers, kind of work side by side to go through this particular book this year. And uh, we may not make it through the year, but we're going to go as far as we can. And so if you'll find in your Bible the Gospel of Mark. I received a card, uh, the new study uh, uh, on Matthew at Center Point, they've changed locations to Grace, uh, well, it's not Grace, College, Greenville Bible Church, which is right behind Walmart. Any of y'all know where Walmart is? Okay, right behind there, okay. It's at 7 o'clock and it starts on January the 10th. A great study. It's a way which you can grow. In fact, it'll work side by side with what we're studying, uh, the book of Mark. And so we're going to do a study that uh, literally helps us to grasp and understand uh, this new year. I always like New Year's because it's a time to set some personal goals. Years ago, there was a Dr. George Davis. Uh, he's gone to be with the Lord, but he encouraged us at Bible College at Criswell to read through the Bible once a year. And see, he was probably about 40, 45. And he said, you know, he, in his Christian faith, over 35 or 40 times. And, you know, this year I'll pass him. Uh, probably not. He probably went ahead of me. But anyway, I'll pass him on the years that I've been able to go through uh, the Bible. And it's been one of the greatest uh, blessings of hearing and listening and studying and hearing God's Word. And so as you read it, uh, you can learn, you can memorize it. And uh, as the psalmist said, uh, so that the words of your mouth and the meditation of your hearts will be pleasing unto Him, our rock and our redeemer. And so as you study the Word of God, it begins to saturate your mind and your heart to transform you. But it also it's what the Holy Spirit uses to help you, to guide you and to instruct you and to guide you against false doctrine. When you hear something and all of a sudden it doesn't ring true, it's because you have saturated yourself, been a servant, study the Word of God, uh, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so it helps you not to get entangled with the discussions of the world and the activities of the world, but to be uh, led by the Spirit of God who penned the word of God through the different writers. And so I encourage you to do that. Then you can also, uh, in the new year, you can set out a goal to share your faith with at least uh, one person a month. That's not a hard goal, 12 people. But uh, God might open the door and give you a greater opportunity by your commitment to put you in front of a group. It might be a work group. It might be a family. And they said, you know, what is it that made a difference in your life? And you can say, well, folks, I can just be honest with you. It's not been me. It's been God working through me. And let me tell you what, how that came about. And so there's a number of ways in which you can uh, grow. I was at a museum, museum, can't get the word out, okay? One of those parks like uh, Six Flag. Uh, and there was this big sign and it said, uh, you are here, okay? <laughs> and that's really what the book of Mark is about. It's saying, here's the beginning of where you might be, but here's where God wants you to be. And so he presents the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you have your Bible and if you're able to, let me ask you to just to stand. We're going to read a few verses, uh, verses 1 through 3, just as an introduction. And then we're going to go to the time of the Lord's Supper. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the beginning. And that's the subject, the beginning. Uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Those are genitive, ob, uh, uh, objective genitive. I'll talk about that in just a few months. But it's about the beginning of the ministry of Christ. As it was written by the prophet, uh, Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, 
who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Let's pray. Father, we pray that that's exactly what will happen as we start the new journey of studying again in your word this book that uh, you've given to us. But we pray for every single person as they set their hearts of not where they are necessarily today, but where you want them to be. And let the gospel, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, just guide us and direct us and transform us. And so we pray that everything that we do and everything we set out to do is guided and led by the Spirit of God as Christ Jesus dwells in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would now take your word and just open up it to our hearts. Let it speak to us as you love to do. And Father, we pray you'd use this servant. Just move me out of the way. Let your word be true and faithful. And Father, transform us and guide us today as we study and as we begin this study in this gospel. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may keep your seat, and if you have your Bible, you probably need a pen because one of the first things I like to do when I study a book of a Bible is I like to kind of get a handle on it, know where I'm going or what it's about, a general idea of the direction that we're going. So I've given you just an outline. It's not mine. In fact, it's uh, resources from a man by the name of uh, uh, Block who wrote a commentary, also uh, Tyndale, I think his name was uh, Alan Cole. And so I kind of summarized a portion of it. But this, if you have a pencil and pen, uh, just jot this down because this will kind of tell you where we're going and what it's about. So when someone says, well, what are you studying? What's it about? You can give a general idea of what, John, what Mark is doing in his gospel. In verses 1 through 3, the first chapter, is basically an introduction. We're going to see that he's introducing the gospel and what it means and how it came about presenting the ministry of Christ. Now, it's interesting when you study the gospels because as uh, Dr. Vi uh, Dr. Vines used to say, you know, each gospel had a particular reason by uh, four particular eyewitnesses that started in different places. For instance, uh, Matthew, as we studied in the, uh, during the Christmas story, it was a, a bringing about how Jesus through the lineage of David, truly was the Jewish king, but he was the king of kings and presented him as the one Messiah who was the true king. When we come to the book of Mark, he does something uniquely different. He unveils Jesus Christ, not at his birth, but at the beginning of his public ministry. And in his public ministry, he does something like this. He says, this is where it began. And probably something in the same life happened to be the transformation of this young, uh, young man named John Mark, who is attributed to have written the, this gospel. But uh, when you come to the Luke... Uh, Mark talks about his uh, suffering servant. In fact, we're going to see that from the book of Isaiah about the prophecy that's coming. Then we come to the book of, of uh, Luke, and Luke does something that talks about the perfect humanity of Christ, how he was, uh, and he identifies and connects with people from every kind of background, but the perfect Son of God, who is also the perfect Son of Man, and how he's come. Now, the, the unique thing is the book of John. You come to that and it's a completely different an account. It's just like this. He says, you know, Mark says in the beginning and John does something like this. He says, well, when beginning happened, I mean the beginning of everything happened. I mean the beginning of everything. The word was there, the eternal son of God. He truly was. And yet it uses that theological word incarnate. He became flesh and he dwelt among us 
full of the glory, full of the truth and full of glory. He revealed the Father perfectly because he was the express image, the, 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 the fullness of God in the, uh, in the flesh bodily. And so as you, you look at this, uh, Mark has a whole different purpose. And so we begin by the introduction of how this took place. And then we see the Galilean ministry. That was a time in which he spoke around his neighborhood and Capernaum and the Sea of Galilee and began his work. Uh, you could really divide it into really two aspects uh, is the beginning or the early or the latter ministries. Then in chapter 7 through really verses 10, chapter 10, you see the training of the 12 and the preparing for Jerusalem. He talks about that this is what it means to be a disciple. And then he goes on to describe that uh, this is what you better be prepared for because following Jesus means there's going to be suffering ahead. And then, of course, we have the ministry of Jerusalem, verses 11, chapter 11 through chapter 13. Then the passion of his dying on the cross, uh, the trials, the way in which he was treated in chapters uh, 11 through 13. And then, of course... Um, in verses, uh, or excuse me, 14, 15, and of course the closing of the book, and we'll be dealing with more of that, is the resurrection in chapter 16. So that with a handle, you have something of a direction of here we are and here's where we're going, but it's really revealing to who the person is. Now, who is this John Mark? We really don't know uh, as much as we would probably want, but boy, uh, he wasn't where he was but now he's come to a new place in his life. I, I can't help but thinking when the first time we met John Mark, we really met him in his mother's house. His mother's house in uh, the 12th chapter of the book of Acts was a woman who probably had, uh, she was a believer. We know, need nothing of the father, kind of like Timothy. His father may have died or his father may have been a Jew, may have not ever become a believer. We don't know. But his mother uh, had a house that was so big that the church met there and there came a time where Peter was thrown into jail and Herod was going to try to kill him. And in the middle of the night, the angels just brought him free and brought him to the house and, and wrote to the servant, heard him knock and went and said, he's, he's free. They thought he was dreaming. And there's where we meet his mother. In the last of that chapter, when uh, Paul and Barnabas, which by the way, uh, Colossians, you might want to write down, Colossians chapter 4 verse 10, tells us that Barnabas was a cousin to John Mark. And so when they went on the first missionary journey, he said to young John Mark, he was just a, probably a teenage boy, he said something like this, we want you to go with us. He might have been in his early 20s. And he started out the ministry, and, and maybe he thought just what he had seen in the experience of Peter, this is what it was going to be like. Every time you get into hot waters, like Peter put in jail, God is going to just send down his angels and say, out you go. And so he said, this is going to be great. Well, on the first missionary journey, it wasn't great. It was hard. It was persecution and difficulty. And, and I think it was in the 13th chapter he said something like this. I'm going home. Well, not exactly, but he said he departed from them. Things got tough. And so uh, later he, uh, Barnabas and, and, and uh, Paul came back to the, the, the council of Jerusalem and in the 15th chapter, they were ready to go out again. And Barnabas says, well, let's go. I'm going to go get John Mark. And Paul says, what? That teenage kid that skipped out the first time? No way, Paul said. No way he's going with us. And the Bible says there was no small disagreement. Some of y'all think, you know, Christians don't always disagree, don't have disagreement. Yeah, that was, that was, the Bible says it was no small disagreement. And finally it says, 
I tell you what, I'll take Silas. And, and Barnabas says, well, okay, I'll take John Mark. And he went to Cyprus. And, of course, the Bible follows the trail of Paul and, and, and Silas. But an amazing thing took place. We don't know what happened. And so somewhere in the line of the ministry that was nurtured by Peter, because in chapter 5 of 1 Peter verse 15, the Bible describes that Peter is now in Rome. And in the fourth chapter of the book of, I mean the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy, right before Paul's death, he says, I want you to bring John Mark because he's profitable now to me. And he said, bring the papyruses too. It's very possible it was through that information that he began to pen the book that we have today, which is the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. Now, they, someone says the gospel of Mark, but the word gospel is attributed to the, the manifestation of Jesus by Matthew, Mark, but it's the good news is about Jesus. And so there's two things, particularly this morning, hopefully you got this because we've got to move on, but the two things that we want to know that the gospel is literally, it comes to, it's, it's summed up in one a person, and second of all, it's summed up in a promise. Let's look how he introduces the book to us. He said, in the beginning, the starting, the place that it all began, the place of significance. Of course, again, he doesn't deal with the birth and the supernatural uh, birth of Christ, but the beginning of his ministry. It says the beginning of the gospel. As I mentioned, this is a, an objective genitive, which means that the subject is, the action is falling upon this, these next few words. The beginning of what? The beginning of the good news. Now, that word good news is simply a word we have, a, a word that's made up of two little words. It means you, E-U, which means good, and the word angelos, which we get the word messenger or angel from. And so it says it's the, the message of some great wonderful news to get us from where we are to where God wants us to be. And the Bible says it is found in, and he begins to describe the nature and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins by saying the gospel of, and of course that good news of, and of course good news is something of, of something of excitement, something that's transforming, something that you're longing to hear. It is the good news of, and he begins with the word Jesus. We studied that in Matthew's account. It's the uh, Hebrew word for Joshua. And what it means is that God saves. So when we talk about his humanity, we know God became flesh in G Jesus Christ. The Son of God became flesh for the purpose to save us. In fact, we read that in the book of Matthew chapter 1 where it says he told Joseph, he says you're going to call his name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. God is going to save them. The only way people can be saved from their sins. How is it? Through Jesus. The only way. It's by God's work alone. Nothing man can do can be transformed. It's only by the work that Jesus has done by giving himself on the cross. Then he used the second word, Christos. The word, in fact, sometimes uh, in abbreviation, they'll use the word an X. Some of them said that offends them. Well, that's okay. It's, you know, I just don't get over it because the X is the letter that describes the Greek word for the name of Jesus. I used to take notes and when I came to the word God, I just used the word theos. It was a little circle with a line through it. It wasn't 
wasn't to think bad or the Holy Spirit. I would just use uh, an abbreviation. It wasn't to offend anybody. It was just because I couldn't write as fast as most people. And so I used every abbreviation I could. And so it is the idea of Christos, but it has to do with what's normally the term is, is the anointed one. From the promises of the early book, the Bible says one day God says, I'm going to take care of the problem of sin. And he gave them a promise. And he says one day there's one who's going to come. And he talks about through the seeds of Abraham, one day the king, one day a priest, one day the prophet. You see, those are the three that were anointed. And so he says one day, not just a prophet or priest or king, the prophet the priest, the king, the one who will redeem you, he will come, the Messiah. And so they were longing for the Messiah to come. And of course, the last phrase, he is the unique son of God. In fact, it's, uh, it's referred to as knowing for sure that you know who he is as you begin to open this book. For instance, in the, uh, uh, the fifth chapter, it tells us that, that Jesus was coming upon a man that was uh, uh, demon-possessed. He was being led by the working of Satan through his angels, which we call demons. And the Bible says when he stood there in front of the man, the man began, the, the demons through the man began to cry out, Son of God, have, uh, don't send us to the place of torment before the time. Twice that happened where the demonics were literally yelling out, he, he's the Son of God. Well, that's what uh, Mark wants you to know. He is truly the Son of God. The demons knew that. <laughs> well, the, the Sea of Galilee knew that. <laughs> they were out there in a boat one day, and, and, and Jesus uh, walked on the water, stood in the boat, and later he said, hey, be still, and the water just got still. The water, the creation knew who he was. In fact, it kind of closed the story because the moment he died, there was a man who was a part of his death called a centurion who was overseeing his death. He said, truly he was. He was the Son of God. You see, that makes all the difference in the world. And so therefore, as we begin studying this, understanding what difference it makes of who he is, uh, therefore it is that which can guide you from where you are, no matter where you are. Uh, you see, John Mark was a scared running from the fires and now as he writes this book, he's running to the fires. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's going to Rome. When you read the historical accounts of, of a man, uh, Tatius, who wrote the accounts of even, you know, Rome, how they treated the Christians about the time, 60, 64, when Nero blamed the Christians for the fires that he had set. And he wrote the account of that, of what they were doing to Christians one account, he says, they were wrapping them in the skins of wild animals, letting dogs rip them apart. There's another account where it says they were crucifying, lining them up, crucifying Christians like they had done to Christ. Another place where he's saying, he says, they literally uh, made them into like a torch and at night lit up the skies by Christians being burned to death. And here's a man who once was running away from those fires. But now he's running to those fires. And he said, you know what made the difference? He said, There's, it's this good news about who this is. It wasn't about angels protecting. It's about a Savior who redeemed me by his blood. And he said, all the difference in the world. I, I heard a story yesterday. It was an incredible story because the guy that was speaking was doing a, a eulogy. I, I think the world of this preacher, but I didn't know the story. 
But in his early life, he was living a rough life. In fact, he says the man that was laying there in the castle, he said, you know, the first time I, not the first time, he says, but the, the time that I remember him of all the times, he said, it was 911. Y'all remember 911? Where you were? Yeah, he remembers where he was. He was in the Hunt County Jail. And this man just happened to be a jailer. Went by and he, he said something like this. He said to him, says, you know, you're here this morning, but tonight you're going to be out of here. And he said, yes, sir. And he said something like this, and I don't want to see you here again. <laughs> now, that was kind of like a, you better not be back here again. That was the start of the journey. But when this man, and I, I just love him in his ministry, but he got out of that, he found someone named Jesus. And he said, you know, the reason I've never been back there again, he says, because where I was at the starting place, <laughs> I am not there because of someone who transformed my life. I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you ask that question, well, how do I know if I'm on that journey? Well, I can tell you because the theme of this message is about how he transforms us, knowing, one, that he is able to redeem us. I, I love those songs about shame being gone and guilt being gone, how there's a, a wonderful experience of grace of knowing my past is my past. I mean, it, it was the prodigal son didn't say something like this when he was heading home. He said, Father, I've, I've turned over a new leaf. I've made some New Year's goals and resolutions. And I think you ought to let me back in the house because I'm a new person. No, you know what he said when he got back? He said the same thing. He came in that same brokenness. He said, Father, he said, I'm not, I'm not uh, worthy to be your servant, even your servant. I don't count me as a son and the father wrapped his love around him because, you see, that, that was the way in which he saw people's lives being changed, acknowledging their brokenness and knowing that he's able to save us from our sins. Knowing that, but he loves us. Knowing that he loves us, the gospel is about God's love that becomes flesh and, and, and dwells among us to experience us to, to know how much God loves you. But I, I think there's two other things. If you, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the theme, I think the theme verse of the whole book. It's chapter 10, chapter 10 and verse 45. So hold your place here, we'll come back. But he says in chapter 4, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. You want to know whether you're following Jesus? Let me ask you, with what God has given to you, how are you serving other people? Because that's how we serve the Lord, by serving other people. And if you're not serving other people, then you're not following the Lord who, that's the journey, that's the way in which he led, that's how he lived. And he said to those who wanted to be his disciples, come, follow me. You tell me how you serve God without serving people. John, James would say something like this in his book, I'll show you how you are serving God when you do serve people. There's a whole difference between what people say and what people do. So part of the lesson that we learn about the life of Christ and becoming a disciple, and that's how John Mark became. He became someone who ran to the fires and began to serve with his life, pouring out his life for others. And then he says, knowing that I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Sacrificial living. Listen, if you're living a life and saying, what do I get out of it? You, you haven't found Jesus yet, okay? Because <laughs> you're going to, you won't believe what he, you will get from him, but when you're trying to do something to get something back, you're not following the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here we have a story of a man whose life has been completely 
transformed into the gospel, and therefore he's calling others to look to the person. But he also he turns to the promise. And this is the last part of this because there's two points today and then we're going to have the Lord's Supper. But it's the, uh, the promise. The gospel is not only summed up in the person of who Christ is. That is the object of the beginning. But he's also said, and it was the same thing that was written in the, gospel, uh, in the prophets. He actually, in verses 2 and 3, uses two prophets, one minor, one we consider the, the major source. The major source was Isaiah. The minor source was uh, uh, Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 and then chapter 40 of Isaiah uh, chapter 40 verse 3. And so as we look at this it's a descriptive of first of all the prediction that one day there would come a messenger and uh, where the messenger was coming from was uh, from the wilderness. Look what he says. Uh, Behold a voice crying in the wilderness. Now you're probably going to ask the question, what does that mean? Well, you'd have to go back probably almost uh, 500 years. And there was a people that God uniquely used, which was called the Jewish nation. And they, they, they came to the place that they were divided and they wouldn't listen to God. And one day God gathered them up by the hand of a, a king whose name was Nebuchadnezzar. And he literally exiled them from the place that he brought them out of the wilderness into the promised land, and now he takes them out of the promised land and brings them to Babylon, which was like a wilderness. You ever been in a wilderness? Well, that's where John Mark knew what it was like. He's writing the gospel and becomes a, what we call a motif or a thematic word about wilderness. He describes Jesus when he's tempted and he says, and he was cast out into the wilderness where there were wild beasts. Now, none of the other gospels mention those things. Why would he mention the wild beasts? Because he knew where he was going at Rome where Christians were being sewed into skins of animals and thrown to the dogs and to the lions. And he knew that following Jesus was going to, if it cost Jesus to go into the wilderness, many of them would go into the wilderness of their life. And so they were a point of wilderness. And so one day he sent Isaiah and he said, tell my people to be comforted. Comfort, comfort my people. He said, because I tell you what, I'm coming to get them. And when you hear this voice coming out of the wilderness, this unique voice, uh, the book of Malachi, he says he has the characteristic of Elijah. What did what Elijah look like? Elijah looked like nobody around us, okay? I mean, he, he didn't dress up. He just dressed, okay? I mean, he had uh, camel uh, clothes, rough clothes. Looked like probably um, um, someone on, um, well, what was those shows where all of the guys had the big beards? You remember that? Huh? Yeah, Duck Dynasty. I mean, looked like they had come straight out of Duck Dynasty and said, man, who is this? And all of a sudden he says, folks, Prepare, prepare, the Lord's coming. And so what it did in their heart, in the back of their mind, and in their life, it sprung up a faith, a confidence, a hope. God's coming. One of these days, he's coming. He's not going to leave us here in the wilderness. He's not going to leave us in the mess we're in. He's coming. And so out of that wilderness sprung this hope. Now, he said to them, in fact, three different times. One, he says the word prepare. 
in the in the verse two is a unique word because it primarily had to do with, uh, for instance, when you want to make things nice. In fact, it was usually when a ruler was coming, they would kind of decorate the town and and kind of spruce up. You ever had company coming over? You know that's fun, but it's it's kind of hard too because. My wife, she wants the house clean when company comes over, okay? And I'm thinking, why? My shoes are there. They won't mind. They don't mind stepping over my, my shoes. They're in front of my, you know, there's my coffee cup. You know, there's my, my soda pop. There's my crackers. Well, I mean, she wants those things spoofed up a little bit. I mean, she, she wants them to make lies. Nice. And then she wants me to take some of my junk and put it in the closet and shut the, you know, the door. <laughs> That's really kind of tough, you know. I got one closet the other day. I was sitting there and we go boosh like that. That was the stuff I stuck up there to hide when company was coming, you know. But the amazing thing about this message in this preparation was something almost completely opposite. Instead of hiding what was wrong in their life, the preparation was to bring their brokenness and their Life that's undone to Jesus. And that's the only people Jesus was helping is the people that understood the condition of their life. And they were crying out, have mercy, forgive us. John said the same thing, repent, bring, you know, and they were, the Bible says they were standing there on the banks confessing their sins. They weren't hiding what they were, what was wrong in their life. They were bringing it to the master who was coming, who would take away the sins of their life. And so this first word had to do is, is making sure. The second thing is preparation that also had to do with uh, uh, making what's right, what's wrong, setting the things that were wrong in your life. And when you think about that, it's uh, talking about things that sometimes that, that, that break us. I, I, I was thinking sometimes as I was with the family this week of, of how losing someone that was so dear to them and they feel like they're in a wilderness. You've been there? When the one you thought would be with you for a long time is gone? Wilderness? Sometimes a relationship, someone who said they'd death to your part and things got difficult, they were gone. Some who said, it's been a long time I want someone that would love me. Fill in the brokenness, wilderness, a sickness, diagnosis. Some people not even knowing that you're sitting there struggling in pain. And every time you try to mention it, you feel like they think that you're something really is wrong with you because you can't even describe what you're going through. Wilderness. Sometimes dramatic changes in our life. Sin that has stained us or has imprisoned us. Wilderness. John Mark was basically saying, I, I know, I know. But the way we get from where you are to where you need to be, it comes through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and putting his trust in him, bringing your life as you are and saying, oh God, have mercy upon me and literally allowing him to transform you from a man that would run from the fire to run to the fire. It takes a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In just a moment, we come to the table that reminds us of all that he's done for us. 
You see, it's, um, it's about that relationship of knowing him, and that's what John is saying. The voice was crying out, one is coming, and one day when John was baptizing, there came a man, and whom he had known, but when he began to understand who he was, he says, you know, this man was born after me, but well, he was before me. <laughs> and he said, and, and he's the one that when I saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, I knew he was the man because the Spirit remained upon him, the anointed one. And he's the one that is the Lamb, and he's the one that will take our sins away, the Lamb of God. And then he said one other thing about him. He said, you know, I'm not even worthy to unloose his shoes. He's the one. You see, the gospel is pointing us to the good news. The good news is a, a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's based upon God's promise. He's coming. 